Well, we do embark on something of a hybrid study this morning. You may remember from our time together a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the kind of an overarching subject of spiritual practices, and the ultimate goal of which being a conformity to the image of Christ, and for us to grow, as one of the epistles says, to grow in godliness, that the spiritual practices that we will consider over the next couple of weeks, probably up until Palm Sunday, and then maybe a couple of weeks after Easter, um, probably kind of late April, we'll wrap this up, that the objective is not just to become better at the practice. The objective is to grow in our walk with the Lord. Each of us finds ourselves in something of a unique place on our journey of transformation. And so the question could be raised, well, how do I know which of the practices may be most effective for me? What is the element of, in my life in which the Lord is calling me to walk more closely to him? And, and maybe what are some of the tools that I can utilize uh, to achieve that? One answer to that question could be to kind of lay out 10 or 12 of them, and walking through something like a buffet, right? And just taking a, a little bit from here and a little bit from the salad bar and get a little dessert, get a little bit of everything. Another would be, a t would be to attempt an, an effort that's a little bit more strategic. And that includes to consider real-life examples of groups of Christians that we know just a little bit about, look very briefly at the things that we know about them, the context in which they lived and tried to practice their faith, the elements of their life with the Lord that seemed to be lacking something, where they weren't living up to the promise they made, and, and, and then to apply a particular discipline or a particular practice to them. So that's what we're going to try to do over the next couple of weeks. And while many of the epistles were, of course, pinned to real-life churches, a summary or a snapshot of what the Lord Jesus was encouraging first-century churches to do is found in Revelation. You may recall last summer we took kind of a sprint through the book of Revelation, and we skipped over chapters 2 and 3. Well, we're back. For good or bad, we're, we're back. And we're going to not delve too deeply in, but just kind of an overview of the church. And then, like I said, what's the spiritual practice that may be most beneficial to them? And hopefully in that process, recognize what that spiritual practice may look like in your life. As I've worked to prepare, I'm about three, uh, three churches through. We're doing just one today. I showed Jonah saw my... We were waiting on an appointment he had. He saw my sermon notes that I was looking at. And I warned him. I said, Jonah, I've missed, I've missed two straight Sundays. I've got, I got three sermons to pack in to one service. He said, oh. But I whittle it down. I whittle it. You can thank Jonah for, for, for that. So we're just going to look at the church in Ephesus this morning. 
I hope, though, that this is something uh, that proves to be helpful for each one of us. From Revelation 2, beginning in the first, uh, the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Ephesus. What we just read was addressed to first century believers who we know were in that city. There are several elements of this city that made it extremely significant. And I think knowing a few of those gives us a better understanding of the people who lived there. In terms of its importance in regard to commercial trade and commercial activity, it was second only to Rome. You can see, hopefully, on this map here. Elijah was showing me something the other day. Let me see if I can figure this out. Nope. There we go. Here is Ephesus. Obviously, you can see that it would be a major port city. Right there on the water. Its land location was also significant. You can't quite tell this from the map, but it represented the convergence of three of the great Roman roads. You remember how Rome to help in, 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 in large part to make it easier for their armies to travel from city to city, constructed various roads. And Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, represented where three of them came together. It held great political importance. Rome granted it the right to self-governance to some degree. It served in many ways as a shining example of what a Roman uh, Empire first century city was supposed to look like. Most significant in the city, and even predating the empire of which Ephesus was, the part, was a part in the first century, was the Temple of Diana. Let me see if I can do this one more time here. There we go. There's a depiction of it. By the time of Jesus' revelation to John, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
You can tell, I mean, just think about this existing more than 2,000 years ago. The construction that went into it, the cost, the ornateness of it, the beauty of it, how it would stand out and in many ways give a city distinction. It was also a major focal point, of course, as a temple to a pagan god, it was a major focal point of pagan worship. Within the revelation of the Lord Jesus, to this young church in Ephesus, a a few elements that stand out from the passage that we read in terms of some of the things that they were doing well. Theirs was a faith of dedication. Jesus said, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Not only that, theirs was a faith committed to right doctrine. Jesus said, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. You can imagine that maintaining doctrine and, 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 endure, and enduring even in times of difficulty would be so important for a city with such a major temple to a pagan god. And theirs was also, theirs was also a faith that had discarded one important thing. Remember what Jesus said? You have lost your first love. You've, you've, you've done well in enduring in times of difficulty, and you've done well in making sure you have, you have right doctrine, but you've forgotten, you've forgotten the basics. You've wandered from your first love, my dear sons and daughters in Ephesus. Again, we don't have time to delve too deeply into all of the intricacies of the city or all of the intricacies of the church. But as just a highlight, if we look at, if we look at that, there are things as a church in Ephesians or in Ephesus that you do so well, and there are things that you're struggling with. What, what might have been advantageous to them, knowing those strengths and weaknesses in terms of a spiritual practice that would serve them best. I would suggest it's the discipline of Christian meditation. The discipline of Christian meditation. One translation explains that the Ephesians needed to rekindle, rekindle their first love. What better way to do that than time spent in very intentional thought? Now, I want to be clear here that there is a distinction between sometimes what we may think of as meditation, kind of Far Eastern meditation, and and Christian meditation. In some ways, it is the intent, as I understand it, and I am anything, uh, anything but some sort of an expert on it, but as I understand it, in terms of Far Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty the mind. Christian meditation is an attempt to fill the mind. To fill the mind with the thoughts of God. I was trying to think of a way to describe what an attitude of meditation may look like. And then I realized 
that I had been doing it most of last weekend. Not Christian meditation. I will not present myself as uh, one who, who mastered that. But let me tell you just a brief story. You know, with the snow and the cold, the what happens to your car is that you walk through the, the salt and the sand in the parking lots, and then you bring it into your car, right? And your car mats or your floor, or if you have kids in the back seat, the, the, the chairs, they get all gunked up and dirty. You just have that, that, that gray look that's on the streets comes into your car. So last Saturday morning, I decided that I was going to spend some time working on getting my car cleaned out and vacuumed out. I, I have a little, it's a dust buster, really, that I kind of use for, the, uh, for, for maintenance uh, on keeping my car clean. But for those big jobs, I needed the vacuum cleaner. And so the, the vacuum cleaner we have, you can take the little hose off of it and uh, put attachments on it to try to get into certain spaces. So I took it down to the garage and plugged it in, and I was working on getting it cleaned out. And it took a good amount of time, and, and Dana was working on getting lunch ready, and I think uh, Jonah or Catherine came down to tell me that it was time to eat, and I had one little spot that I still needed to get to, I was trying to get it done quickly, and I thought, well, shoot, if I just take the attachment off of the end of the hose, that gives me a, a, you know, a larger surface area that, that, that is sucking up the, the, the dirt and the grime and everything. So I was working on that, and, and, and I knew that there was this little part of my seat cover. It has this, it has this uh, oh, about six-inch uh, little foam piece that holds the seat cover down in underneath. You know what I'm, I didn't describe that very well. I think you know what I'm talking about. Kind of uh, secures it in. And I had removed it because I needed to move Catherine's car seat. And, and I was almost done. And, you know, and then I heard it. Because I'd taken off the attachment, my surface area was big enough that it sucked my foam piece into the hose. And you know, you know the sound that a vacuum cleaner makes when it sucks up something that's a little too big. You know, it has that, it has that, and then if it sucks it up, it goes a little higher. You know, because, oh, oh boy, now I've done it, right? So I went up and confessed to Dana what I had done, and, and, I, and I said to her, hey, I've already looked. I can, I can see the foam piece. I can see the, I, I took apart the hose and, 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 and as much as I could, I said, I can, I can see the foam piece down there. And, and we were, you know, you Google stuff, right? How do, how, do I, how do I clear my vacuum cleaner hose? We found all kinds of suggestions. And, and after lunch was all done, I, I went at it. And I could, I, I could see it. I could see where the hose, it is orange in color, where, where it kind of curves down. It, there, there was this white, this white spot, and I knew it was the, the foam piece that I had sucked up, and, 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 I, and I tried all kinds of stuff. We have a little wet dry vac, and I tried to, I tried to suck it up that way, and I, I, stuck, a, I stuck the end of a, of a rake down, the, down there, and I, and I, th- I, th- I thought, oh, I'm pushing on it, but I, I can't quite get it cleared. And Dana tried it, and she saw the, she saw the foam piece, and we, we tried and tried, but to no avail. And I kept thinking about it. That's Saturday night, Sunday. I'm still thinking about this thing. How am I going to get this out? I I looked up other YouTube videos on how to get it out and and other 
other geniuses like me that had got stuck stuff in the stuck in the hose that, that came up with with good ideas to get it out and, and Dana and I kept working on it and Monday she was off and it was President's Day and and and, and that was the day we were going to get it out and she said oh wait we can actually there's this curve in the hose that that that's the one spot where we knew it was that, you know, she said oh we can take it apart a little bit more so she unsnapped this other piece and 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 now there was nothing to stop us she she grabbed a wire hanger and had taken it apart and, and every, our whole focus was getting this this foam piece out of the hose she said oh i can feel it i can feel it here And, and, and even as we had deconstructed the vacuum cleaner hose even, even more, it felt like we should be able to reach down and, and feel the foam, but it was plastic. I thought, that's, that's weird. So then I said, well, look, I think we just pushed it a little too far where we can't quite see anymore. I tell you what I'll do. I'll drop a, a coin down, and if it gets stuck, we can turn it upside down and it'll come right out. But if it goes through... Well, I'm not sure what that'll tell us. So I did that. And the penny I dropped down went right down, landed on the ground. Uh, well, you know, may, maybe the way that the foam piece is situated, maybe the penny just slid through. Let's try it again. They did it again. And Dana said, are, are, you, are you sure you sucked anything up? I don't think there's anything in this hose. I said, I know. Well, there was, the foam piece was there, and then it was gone when the, when the vacuum cleaner hose went over it. And... She said, let me go check something. So she went downstairs. And she came back up, holding the phone piece. She said, when, you, when, you, when you're using the hose, if you suck up something too big, it goes in this different compartment in the, in the vacuum cleaner to prevent things like this from happening. The whole time that phone piece that I was so sure was in the hose of the vacuum cleaner had never been there. What I saw was white, but it was, it was a change in color in the plastic on the hose where it transitioned from orange to white. I was so preoccupied with what I thought was there, I had overlooked the fact that it wasn't. I was thinking about my Trials and tribulations at the vacuum cleaner hose on Tuesday. And how that preoccupation, where that became my, my complete mental focus, that is in some ways representative of what meditation can look like. Whereas as opposed to A piece of foam that isn't really there. We're allowing scripture. We're allowing maybe a verse of a song. We're allowing a prayer to permeate our thoughts. And allow that to be the, the thought that is bouncing back and forth in our heads. It's a practice that's seen throughout the pages of scripture. Isaac, the psalmist, has that, I think that's from Psalm 19, that, that snippet of a verse, accept the meditation of my heart, O Lord. The psalmist 
The prophet Elijah, the prophet Jeremiah, all noted practicing meditation. And God was able to speak to these faithful folks, not because of their special abilities, but because they were willing to listen. They were willing to listen. It's engaged in by nearly every element of the faith. It's an ancient practice from which benefit has been derived by Catholics and Protestants, by Eastern Orthodox and the far Western Church. There was one Anglican leader who said, meditation is the duty of all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor and World War II era martyr, said his reason for practicing meditation was, because I'm a Christian. That's why I meditate on the Word of God and on the things of God. One other definition. At its core, meditation is the intentional creation of, a, of an emotional and spiritual space in which Christ has provided opportunity to construct an inner sanctuary in our hearts. It is holding space for the Lord Jesus. It is a time of intentional, and I think, I think this is where my vacuum cleaner hose uh, analogy breaks down a little bit. Because meditation and, and kind of being aware of the Spirit and the, and the things of God hopefully become part of our daily routine and just part of what's going on in our mind. But to get there, I think it's important for us, if we can, just by way of practical element, to set aside a little time. I don't think it has to be much. I'm not, I'm not suggesting, you know, hey, try to meditate for four hours. Boy, I... I'd be asleep within four minutes because I think I have too much time to try to sit there. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe it's two minutes. Just a time that you set aside and sit down and say, as the young boy Moses, or young boy Moses, young boy Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And maybe there is nothing, nothing other than that. Maybe that would be something you could do over these next several weeks, maybe a couple of times a week as we prepare for Easter. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'm wrapping up here, but maybe there are, maybe there are other elements. Maybe there will be a little longer amount of time where you could meditate on, on Scripture. Not a study of Scripture, not breaking out the concordances and the, and, and the, and the Bible dictionaries. This is you sitting with a, a verse from, from a psalm, or a verse from a gospel, or a verse from an epistle. Allowing the message of that passage to take root in your spirit. I think, I think this, is, this is what I'm going to try to engage in. What, what if you meditated on creation a little bit? What if you what if you drove your car out to oh Pearson Park, Johnny Mission Park, Wyandotte County Lake? Especially you think about how different, how different our created world will look over the next two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, by then we're at Easter, eight weeks, and how Earth itself and creation itself will speak to new life and resurrection. 
Maybe you drive your car out, turn off your radio, put your phone down, take some coffee or water or whatever it is. Just sit. Remember how Romans says that creation itself tells of the glory of God. Take 15 minutes and meditate on the newness of life that creation speaks to. Just lastly, maybe there's an event in your own life that you need to spend some time meditating on. To look at the event or an event or the events of your life that have brought you to this place. Maybe an event of the last month or the last week. And look at it through the perspective of God. And the way that the Lord is working all things to conform you into the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And meditate on the ways that those experiences or conversations or relationships have shaped you. And let the Lord know that you are a willing vessel. The church of Ephesus had a lot going for them, but they were forgetting their first love. Maybe the same is true for us. Maybe times of meditation would be a great first step to reminding ourselves and rekindling ourselves of the love that we have for the one who so deeply loves us. Amen.